Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your chef host who makes the chef special, Hoggy. <laughs> and uh, this week we are reviewing Moonlight, uh, the 2016, I guess, film uh, directed by Barry Jenkins. And uh, this is kind of like the second film in our, you know, double feature at the end of uh, this month where we wanted to go into, you know, people of color especially in the LGBTQ kind of like centric film, right? So, um, yeah, it's like, I don't know. I went into this series, specifically these two films, because as we know, the month of June has been intense and a lot of it has been about raising up voices that aren't our own. So yes. Angel and I really wanted to highlight some filmmakers and some stories that are different from our own, what we normally would, you know, review or talk about. And it just so happens that they were both, you know, these two amazing films. Yeah. And, you know, I, and I think whereas last week it was a film that we are so familiar with because culturally and geographically it fits in exactly to where you and I grew up and in, in the, around the people that we knew. I, the inverse of that in this film is that these are characters that are, you know, very different than, I mean, not too different, but it, it's a different part of the country. You know, a completely uh, to, different coast. Like yeah. there, this movie takes place in Florida. Uh, you know, it's a completely different subsection of a of a colored community, uh, focusing on the African American community, um, and even to a certain extent, Afro Latino, which I, you know, it was interesting. Yes. How it was brought into yes. as well. Um, yeah, there was the, the Cuban influence is, is is still seeps its way into this film, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, this film stars, uh, it was the first time, not the first time I saw him in a film, but it was kind of the breakout performance for Mahershala Ali, who I think we've only, the, o- the only other time that we've discussed him on this podcast <laughs> was when we talked uh, during our Spider-Man Far From Home series about the fact that he was going to be playing Blade in the upcoming MCU films. Uh, really? But- was that the only time we talked about him? I could have sworn we mentioned him in at least in reference to something else now. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure we've mentioned him more than once on the show, but that's most most uh most that's the most I can remember uh the last time that we had mentioned him on the show. So if we have in another part of the show, I get it. Um those super fans we have better tell us. <laughs> um but this I think what's really important to talk about this film, well, we can start where we normally start which is, uh, what's your experience with the film Moonlight? I think everyone's experience with the film Moonlight is the fucking 2016, was it the 2016 or 2017 um, Oscars where they had that huge flub where it was like best picture was La La Land. Oh, wait, actually it's Moonlight. Everyone shut up, it's Moonlight. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was like the first main experience I had with it. Um... And then actually was, you know, given a free ad to one of my favorite YouTubers is actually my other experience with it was um, benching with Babish when uh, Babish did the dish, the uh, pollo a la plancha that uh, Kevin makes uh, towards the end of the film. And it just looks so delicious. And, you know, like reading the uh, reading the comments, I kept reading about how fantastic the movie was. I'm like, well, then sooner or later, I'll get to it and it just lent itself perfectly like it was just 
the perfect storm of things for it to, for me to finally sit down and be able to watch it today actually being able to watch it today uh, right before the episode so it's fresh in my mind um but yeah that was my real experience don't don't, don't remember hearing too much about it um I just know it was making some waves come Oscar season and then it won. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. That's cool to see. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've made my feelings very well known about Oscars and, and award shows and how much merit I give those. Um, turns out they actually got this one, right. So <laughs> at least that's how I feel about it. But yeah, that's my experience with Moonlight. My experience with this film was, and we'll go back a little further. This film is from 2016, but I would go back into even further uh, the end of 2015, early 2016, the Oscars, right? Um, one of the big criticisms that came out of that 2016 Oscar the year before Moonlight won the Academy Award for Best Picture was the Oscar So White hashtag that went on social media, right? And that was because in 2015, we had a slew of films that were nominated for an Oscar, none of which uh, were directors that either starred or were directed by uh, filmmakers of color. And I think the reason why I was so into that, um, the reason why I kind of had a big issue with that Academy Award was because I thought that two of the best films that came out in 2015 were uh, Creed and Straight Out of Compton, and in my opinion, both of those films deserved a Best Picture nomination, and that actually did not happen, which is frustrating. And I can imagine all the criticism that you know I, I was totally down with all the criticism that came for lack of diversity because you know you and I have talked about Ryan Coogler on this show before, but specifically Creed, the Ryan Coogler film. I thought deserved uh, you deserved the best director nomination. You know, the only person out of that film who got nominated was uh, Sylvester Stallone for best supporting actor. <laughs> That's such a bad look. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. I, it's, I didn't know about that. That's especially how good Michael B. Jordan, like the rest of just how good that fucking film was. Right. Oh and God, Ryan Coogler's Richmond's favorite son. Just a heads up. Yeah. And actually, you know what? I think one of the films that was nominated for Best Picture, I will say, was Selma, which was the, you know, the, the MLK, the film that had the MLK in it, right? But it's still like there was there was a like stark like lack of actors of color and filmmakers of color in 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 the Oscars. So what I appreciated is that at least that criticism forced people to take a greater look at the films that were going to come out than the year after that. And I think we just happened to be lucky that the very next year, uh, this movie comes out. And I'll give my opinion on it right now. I think this film absolutely deserved the Academy Award for Best Picture. Um, I think it was way better than La La Land. I think it's one of the best movies that I've seen in the last decade. But and Angel, uh, have you seen La La Land and those dance numbers? <laughs> I like musicals. I am a fan of musicals. I appreciate it, but I just, this film was better. Well, you guys, that's it for the show. Thanks for listening. <laughs> now that um, you know we like the movie, you guys can uh, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, and then the, the leading up 
you know, I actually saw this film at the end of the year in 2016 when we were kind of leading up to the Oscar season. I was trying, I was making it a point to to actually watch the films uh, that that were, you know, and I used to do this more. I don't get to do this as much anymore because, you know, now I have a kid and now we're in a pandemic. So we're not, who's going to movie theaters at this point? But uh, there was a time when I really did at the end of the year, like going to movies uh, around, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I would go see at least one or two of the films that was considered a front runner for best picture. So I mean, it's prime time. It's like Oscar bait season. That's the one where you sneak in and you find the good ones, right? Yeah. And now, lo and behold, Moonlight paved the way for for other communities of color to be able to get their their shine. Talking about you, Parasite, and how fantastic that film was. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this it's important to before we talk about this film, how uh, just how big of a deal it was that this film did break. It broke through because it it, it exploded Mahershala Ali's popularity right after this film came out. Oh yeah, Mahershala he... Ali can do whatever he wants now, and he has. <laughs> he went and he did that Alita Battle Angel movie. He's like he can be in anything, and everyone's gonna go watch it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he. I know. I know. Uh, I know that Ali was. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I can't remember if he won, um, but yeah, he was nominated. I, in my opinion, I really think that uh the middle section so the actor uh who plays chiron for the middle section of this film uh and the actor's name is uh ashton sanders mm-hmm. i think he deserved a nomination for best for best actor as well um Mahershala ali won the best supporting actor yeah, I think I, I was. I figured he did. I just couldn't remember, and I didn't want to give all false information. But nah, it turns out you were right. <laughs> uh, Nomi Harris is also in this. Who, you know, I, I saw. I saw her in this the year. You know, like at this point, this was the year after she did her second James Bond movie as Money Penny. Now, so, <laughs> so we will be coming back to Nomi Harris because, uh, you know we are still doing James Bond at the end of the year because we are being told that in November is when it's coming out. So mm, I will be <laughs> $500 if we don't if, if just to stop that series. <laughs> and uh, uh, Janelle Monet uh, was also in the movie hidden figures this year as well. So uh, this was a Janelle pretty good Bay. Yes. <laughs> so the, the, this was a pretty solid cast that rounds out this film. So, this is a a pretty stellar cast man yeah so without further ado let's get into the film itself um this movie takes place in a sub in like a neighborhood or subdivision of miami called liberty city and it's a you know it's it's a low income obviously uh very uh poor let's just say neighborhood take every stereotypical fucking like government housing you can ever think of from any movie and this is pretty much what it looks like Like, yeah it it reminds me of the housing uh where they're selling drugs in in uh in season one of the wire and that's just so fresh in my mind because i just finished season one of the wire (laughs) but yeah no and and, and this in this like i mean it's important for us to, to to kind of put a disclaimer out there because obviously we're not from miami we are not from you know florida so but this 
this is kind of like what neighborhoods in Miami and New Orleans are like. There are certain of the black neighborhoods that, that, you know, I've had friends who've lived in, in, in Louisiana and in New Orleans as well. And some people who have known that have lived in Miami in these kinds of neighborhoods. And it's, it's like third world countries, man. It's, it's different. You know, it, it's a different kind of, uh, you know, the, the low income neighborhoods here just look different. Right. And, and that's like, one of the things about film that's, that's kind of neat to, to examine is just all these different places that exist within the same country that we live in. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, um, it's one of those like neighborhoods where everything like looks the same. Everything mm-hmm. is very uniform, very, very brick. Like it's just like heavy doors, heavy, like no windows, bars on everything. Honestly, these neighborhoods look like prisons. Yeah. Um, and in then... this area as well, I think it's important to note that uh, this is one of the areas in our country that's being hit by climate gentrification. Meaning, for those of you who don't believe in climate change, sorry, but we are legitimately, you know, getting more underwater, you know, as the years go by because the polar ice caps have melted. And this area in, in Miami is actually starting to sink, right? I mean, not not sink, but, you know, the, the outer areas... Of, of of these places in Miami are starting to, you know, they're going to be going underwater soon. And a lot of the real estate that is more affordable and people of color can have are homes that may not exist in a few years. Mm-hmm. And the real estate is more expensive in areas where this is less likely to happen right away. So in other words, Liberty City not the most ideal place to live in and in it we get introduced in in that in that in that as an outsider you probably wouldn't want to live there but much like when we watched the mission last week if you're like we only know the world that we grew up in and lived in so if you lived here you just lived here right you know I, i think it's important when we talk about like these kinds of neighborhoods especially because we've lived in lower income you know uh ethnic neighborhoods to other people, it's it's an undesirable place to live. But to people who grew up there, you know, like us, it's well, it's you have where no choice, right? Yeah, like it's it's one of those things you accept it for what it is, right. and you you make the best of the shitty situation you're in. Yes. Right? Um. So in it, we actually get uh, introduced right away to our well, who I assumed would be the main character, uh, was a drug dealer by the name of Juan, right? So, Juan. huh? In the movie, they call him Juan, so I I've would probably. Of... I thought he said Juan. I've heard it Juan. Fine, but... we'll go with Juan. Whatever, God. <laughs> Always got to correct me and shit. So Juan, <laughs> but anyway, so uh, so Juan. Uh, right off the bat, this movie does a really good job of establishing who this guy is without having to say too much, right? Mm-hmm. So um, there's a there's a kid on the corner uh, selling drugs. Uh, as soon as uh, Juan, sorry, as soon as Juan comes up, he immediately pays some respects. They start talking, um, and Juan's kind of checking in on him, seeing how how he's doing, if he's able to move product and whatnot. Um, and you know, we like really quick. It tells us that you know this kid treats Juan with a lot of respect. Um, 
and you know he's one of these guys in the and that's very well known and very well respected within this community uh we also get shown uh we also get introduced to a young child by the name or by the nickname little uh who immediately gets introduced in a way where he is running for his life from what it looks like from a from a gang of bullies that are trying to like chase him down right um little ends up hiding inside of a abandoned uh abandoned apartment uh, that gets used for folks to smoke crack in. Um, and right there, I thought, okay, this kid is safe now. And then these bullies are merciless. They they chase him down. They try to, like, break the windows. They really want to come at this kid as hard as possible, right? Much like the film we talked about last week, um, this is a kid who is gay, and he's also growing up in a hyper-masculine environment where he is not going to be accepted for the person that he is. And that's actually going to do him harm for people to know that he's gay. Uh, And of course, Little is the first of the three characters that make up Chiron, which is, this is the person that we're following throughout the entire film. It's a coming of age story, essentially, uh, Mm -hmm. where we're going to follow him as a child uh, into his teenage years uh, up until his adulthood. And mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of interesting that the film breaks up into three different segments, kind of like, in some ways, it kind of reminds me of Boyhood, right? The the mm-hmm. uh, the 2014 Richard Linklater movie. Obviously, it's a little different, but um, but in that it it breaks up into segments. Except this one is only three segments, and each one includes uh, you know Chiron's like nickname or or what they call him. Mm-hmm. Um, when Juan finds him. He immediately, you know, wants to take care of him. Uh, Chiron, not only, you know, is he gay, but you're, I would, I would say maybe the film at least could hint at the fact that he's got some sort of, you know, social disability or, you know what I mean? Like, like uh, that he's just not able to socialize as well um, with other people, be it, who knows? Is he? Does he have some sort of autism? Is he on the spectrum somehow, or something? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, it definitely deposits that he's socially awkward. Um, what the cause is, it's not really sure. But it's like as the film progresses, you understand why he's such a timid child. You understand why it's not easy for him to open up to folks. Um, and yeah, like it, it plays off super well. Like the the entire time when when Juwan is talking to Chiron while they're in the in the in the apartment, um, the entire time I was expecting Chiron to get frustrated. I'm sorry, not Chiron. Juwan. I was expecting Juwan to get frustrated and kind of lose his cool on Chiron because Chiron like couldn't talk. He couldn't communicate. Like he couldn't be verbal with him. Um, but much to Chiron's surprise, Juwan is very patient with him he's very calm cool collected and he's very much like he he's offering this kid something that this kid never got which was just attention and just i don't don't know if you can call it love just yet but he just offers him some sort of affection you know you know what's funny when i watch this film and i see the characters that he has to interact with like one of them being his mother uh who's played by nomi harris and and who starts off as some sort of medical assistant or nurse because you see her in the scrubs when she's coming home. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
immediately or early on in the film, she develops a, a crack addiction, um, which, you know, you'll see makes her, you know, which makes her life kind of and their relationship deteriorate over time. Um, what I do kind of think about that, that isn't too dissimilar from the movie we watched last week is that we have, you know, we have a character who has a paternal figure um, who's not his parent, who is looking out for him and pretty much accepts him for the person that he is. Um, and then we have the parent who is not able to deal with the fact that, uh, you know, that they have not, not, not so much that she's not able to deal with the fact that her son is gay, but, you know, she develops this addiction and it doesn't kind of like our character last week, you know, chase alcoholism, mm -hmm. you know, being something that gets stoked by finding out that the child is gay. Like we don't know all the things that this family has gone through already, but it is pretty tragic and heartbreaking to watch. Uh, you know, it's a very how, similar cycle. Yeah. yeah. How, how the difficulty of, you know, of being able to deal with family issues causes such distance. And while, while the character of Little's mom, like may not be someone who's objectively uh, rejecting their son the way Che does with Jesse, there is a rejection that, that, that Little is getting from his mom mm -hmm. where she is becoming more socially distant because of her addiction. And Juan is the outsider who, you know, much like, the Renee character last week is is going to come and take this kid under his wing and uh and and take care of him as best as he can like the difference between cycle we see in 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 moonlight compared to like la mission in la mission is one big event right and it takes place over the course of a couple months but it's all based on the fact that it's the day, it, it all stems from the fact that the day uh, Che finds out about, um, about, uh, about Jesse's uh, homosexuality, right? So it's like, it's like um, everything starts falling apart right after that, as opposed to here, the relationship between uh, Paula and Chiron, where it's just like a sustained deterioration over the course of his lifetime, you know? It's not, not like, to mention this film in this film, our gay character is the like is the focus of the film as opposed mm -hmm. to last week where the focus was the character who has to see someone coming out from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. And I it just you know, this movie, it just the way the cinematography, the way it looks, you know, especially oh. at night. The cinematography is, <laughs> is very much an A24 movie because of the weird shaky cams and the way the camera moves around. It reminded me, it very much, I feel like uh, it, it is very much one of those art house A A24 movies. But yeah, the way they play with lighting is freaking fantastic. It's awesome. It is awesome because let's be clear, like we are watching films with characters who are not white you know they are black and especially in this film they are black characters who have dark skin you know and and it's just the it's the way that the camera shoots them and even the way it's called out in the dialogue as well right there's a there's a time oh, when, when, uh, when juan, when juan and tells little, a story 
Yeah, when Juwan and Little are at the beach, you know, as their relationship starts to starts to come closer together, you see a scene where Juwan actually teaches Little how to swim. And uh, after they have that moment, which I think is awesome, it's it's it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a really wonderful moment of, you know, he may not be around him every minute of every day, but the value that you're gonna get out of the memory that you're making with someone, it is something really special. And and uh, after this scene is over, they're both sitting on the beach. And Juan like tells the story of his Cuban grandmother and how she talks about how, uh, you know, how all the black boys would look blue in moonlight. So blue is a heavy color that you see in the in the night scenes. And it is a color that is very like it's beautiful. Like it is beautiful the way the characters are shot. And because they are characters that are not white skinned, right? Like I feel like the cinematography is gonna go. The cinematography is gonna. It's shoot done in the a way characters. that highlights like yes. the 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 beauty of their features. You know, it's the importance of diversity, right? And we talked about it last week as well with Erica Alexander in in, in the mission. You know, where like. It, it was us seeing a, a dark black woman as an object of desire for other characters and stuff like that. This film just, it, it treats all of its black characters uh, with such a, you know, with such care. And all of that really comes from the director and you can tell. Oh, before we move on, because we are getting close towards like the end of, um, mm-hmm. kind of the end of the first part. Uh, I do want to bring up that one, Juan is Cuban, so therefore I wasn't wrong when I called him Juan. So uh, suck it. No, two. I, I'm not saying you're wrong for it. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Uh, I mean, as long as you know, it's on record that you apologize for your transgressions against me as a human. <laughs> you can call him whatever you want. His name is spelled Juan, and yes, he is Cuban. I'm Hi, just my saying name is Juan. because sorry, <laughs> okay, I'm done. But anyway, the second thing I wanted to talk about is, is Teresa. Yes. So it's really it's really interesting because like uh, Chiron ends up creating kind of the pseudo family dynamic. Actually, I wouldn't say Chiron creates it. I think Juan created it. And I don't know for what intent or what purpose, but it was one of those things like I, and that's the big thing that I try to I, I try to figure out as, I, as we're watching this film. It's like, why did what was it that that made Juan like start caring about Chiron, right? Because for all intents and purposes, he doesn't. And I think it was just one of those things where he just saw a kid in need. And he, I don't know, maybe he remembered when he was a kid. But it's really beautiful, like, this little attachment, this little family unit that grows between uh, Juan, Teresa, and Chiron. Where, like, the kid can come over and stay whenever he wants. And like, like he, and they're able to give him affection. They never treat him with anger. They never treat him, like, but you know, you can tell this kid has very few respites of like how shitty his home life is, and it's just nice to see that he has a place. I'll say this: I, I didn't, I didn't really, I, I kind of felt the way you did, where like I didn't really understand what the point of their relationship was until I watched it this time, and I think I caught it this time where I didn't see it before. When Juan meets Little, he already knows who his mother is. And oh. he already knows that his mother is 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 buying drugs from him. 
Oh, that's so I got me. It got me so hard. I, yeah, and you know what? It's funny because the first time I saw this film, I thought that I thought her crack habit came after uh Juwan and Little had met. And that's not what this implies. When uh-huh. they first meet and stuff like that, and 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 he takes he takes uh Little home for the first time, he mentions to uh Little's mother, to Paula, uh that you know where he was you know mm-hmm. like that like that crack den that, that he was at so it's and like she he, knew where it was he ba- yeah he basically like says you know where that is you know and that's and that's what it is and i think i think the character of juan is also complicated in that yes he's a drug dealer yes he is selling drugs to people in his neighborhood and mm-hmm. very likely poisoning them but there's a part of him as well that i think actually does feel guilt and does uh, work through guilt with that. And part of it is him trying to, you know, pull people into the operation because obviously you look at the neighborhood that they're living in, like people have no money who live here. Like Juwan sees himself as someone who's helping others by giving them a form of making money and having some sort of disposable income, you know, for the circumstances that they're living in. And then the other part of it is just, you know, I, yeah, I, I think I think he is a character who who understands the difficulty of 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 what he does for a living, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's also very important. Whereas, like, you know, so we don't run the risk of just, you know, turning this guy into a uh, into a holier than thou character. He oh no, is no, very no, no, no! Chiron makes sure that no one thinks he is a holier than thou character. <laughs> And that's like, perfect. I it love is, the way they handled it. It was fantastic. And it's, again, you don't really hear much from his character at all until the conversation that they have at the dinner table where he asks him, you know, are you a drug dealer? You know, do you sell drugs to my mom and stuff like that? And, you know, when Juwan has to be confronted with that, he gets silent and it's probably the most difficult thing that he has to cope with, right? Like it breaks and, him. It's so crazy. But it also it was, comes it was such a fantastic scene, I swear. Yeah, and it also comes after the moment where Chiron basically tells him, you know, what is the F word, right? Mm-hmm. And what is being gay? Like Yeah. How do and, I know if I'm gay? Like in the fact that Juan is someone who understands that Chiron is gay and actually, you know, is not gonna be someone who's gonna castigate him for it. Like is, I think it's something that's worth that's worth you know respecting him as a character. Sure, he's a flawed character, but it is really nice to is the and in the inverse of the movie we watched last last time, in this film we have a character that right away is able to see that this character you know you know is able to to give this character the kind of care that he needs dealing with this situation, and they also give him. And I think the the reason why, you know, uh, the reason why the character of Teresa, right, Teresa? Yeah, Teresa is uh, Juan's girl. Yeah, so the reason why Teresa is such a great and important character in that she's like, don't even, like, she, she's, she doesn't even, like, put him into a rush, like, to, to for him to identify himself as gay if he doesn't want to. Like, for her, it's just, you may not know yet, and that's fine. And Honestly, that is, it was that is, fantastic. 
fantastic to see these two strangers to this kid be like practice like these parenting skills that we all hope we develop when we have kids you know <laughs> like yeah. like they're patient they they don't rush the kid they they never make the kid feel crappy for how they feel or who they are you know um yeah and I, and and you know like it in just the way that the they play to the to the they play to the child actor um what's his name Trevante no not Trevante Rhodes was adult uh Chiron sorry Alex Hibbert so Alex Hibbert plays uh little Chiron or little right mm-hmm. and that's the thing as a child like as a child actor it's always you don't know what you're doing half the time like sometimes like not every kid is super is gonna be super talented and it's like they play to a lot of strengths whether it's from the script or the direction or the kid himself i just thought it was fantastic that they were if they keep his dialogue so short so minimal it just makes it that much more impactful you know you know and we talked about this film and i said as much as i loved the film last week and not that i want to turn this podcast into a comparison and contrast to like the film we saw last week but the reason why this film hit me more than any time like before is you know, this, the Alex Hibbert, this character, like this actor, you know, this child actor, and all three of the guys who play Chiron, uh, they do so much acting with their faces, with their mm. eyes. It's and all about you emoting. S- you see them go through a giant range of emotions just in their face before they utter a, world, a word of dialogue, which is highly impressive. The other one is that there are parts in this film where you you know we talk about it being an A24 film and it is there's parts of this film where it feels like an A24 horror film too and mm-hmm. I, I I was really impressed by that because you know especially the dark moments where Siron is in his home and he's staring at his mother from down the hallway oh. and she like stares at him and gets closer to it but like the camera shoots everything from as like staring at you so it, it it, it makes you uncomfortable. It, it makes you highly uncomfortable. And then while the music is playing and all the sound underneath it is muted and stuff like that, you think that all you're going to see is that. And then all of a sudden, she'll like scream at him and it, it's, it's like a jump scare. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, again, it, it's, it's such a layered, like awesome film that it just, you know, it, it's, it's hard not to appreciate it. Um, as a child after this conversation that he has with Juan and, and, and Teresa, he leaves. So Juan is left there, you know, listening to, I mean, dealing with what he just listened to and he breaks down essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and the child Chiron section essentially ends with all of them playing soccer in the field or something. And uh, they all start, you know, fighting and, 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 and but you know what they're playing. Yeah. smear the you know (laughs) a game we all used to play when we were done and 12 years old (laughs) (laughs) and that's the other thing too like this this film really does cover like this film covers the curiosity of boys Mm -hmm. uh in a way that other films don't And, and i think if we're being honest with ourselves and with everyone who listens to it as boys we were very curious about do other boys have the same parts that we do and there is like this kind of stuff happens 
right? And it's not mm-hmm. sexualized because in a lot of cases, like we are kids. We don't know if Chiron is gay as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, other kids are calling him gay yeah. because he, there's, you know, they, they see him as effeminate. But I think right. it's also kind of, you know, I think where I identify with, with Chiron is I'm always, I've always been a child to where, yes, I am a straight man who is married, <laughs> who, who has a kid, right? But, you know, I've always been, I've always been a bit of an effeminate guy, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of just my mannerisms and, and, and parts of my personality. So it's, you do, you do kind of isolate yourself from other people when you are different than the norm, especially when you're not hyper-masculine, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This again, I mean, the, it, and I'm, it just points out how hyper-masculinity gets ingrained from us, even from such a young age, you know, like since formative years. Um, but I did want to touch on kind of the friendship that begins uh, yes. before we before we finish up with the chat, with the little section. Mm-hmm. Um, because we do get that scene, I do remember that, where the when the kids are playing, uh, Chiron uh, and Kevin, you know, we get introduced to Kevin. Um, and Kevin, he, the one you know, like Chiron ends up leaving while the kids are, 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 are tackling each other. Um, and Kevin runs up to him and he asks him, Oh, yeah, what's wrong? Like, why'd you leave? And he's, and you know, Chiron does the, Oh, he just wasn't feeling it. He just didn't want to be there. Kevin was like, Yeah, I get it. You get, you get a little bored. Um, and you know, Kevin starts asking Chiron a little bit about why he is the way he is. Um, and, and, but it comes from a place of concern, right? Because the entire thing is that he doesn't like seeing Chiron get picked on. And so he tells Chiron, you know, you gotta, you, you know, you kind of gotta stand up so no one thinks you're soft. And he get, kind of like eggs Chiron on to kind of like encourage him to kind of fight him. Right. Mm-hmm. Or play fight. Right. So they have the little play fight moment where they like wrestle on the ground and whatnot, but it's like, it's not in any way where it's like Chiron is trying to like, it's innocent, right? It's just like innocent playfulness. And it's like maybe the last bit of innocence that we're probably going to see Chiron experience for the rest of the film. (laughs) Because then that pretty much takes us into uh, the second part. where. which is the most heartbreaking part of mm-hmm. this film, right? Like th- this so, second piece is the most difficult one to get through. So we get like what, maybe a ten-year time jump. I'm assuming it's like every ten years, like every like it, yeah. ten years later. Um, and you know, I was thinking, I remember going into the second part. I'm like, okay, Sharon has a has a uh, has a support system. As long as he's got Teresa and and, and Juan, he'll be all right. And right from the get, we find out Juan passed away, and I'm like, fuck. Yes. This kid can't catch a break. <laughs> yes, you feel the absence of Juan, and I know, I know now why Mahershala Ali won an Oscar for this. Like mm-hmm. he is the character that you just want to stay here to protect this kid more than anything. Mm-hmm. And in the second portion of it, you just feel the absence that's left by him. And as good a person as Teresa is, like still trying to look out for him, you you know that he is missing that that male that nurturing male like you know figure. father figure that he uh, had in juan um so chiron's maybe like 16 16 17 at this point 
Um, at, at this point in his life, uh, he's he's getting picked on by uh, the neighborhood bully slash high school bully Terrell. Mm-hmm. Um, same stuff. Keeps calling, you know. He keeps coming after him for being gay, or what he perceives to being gay. Uh, because by this point, Sharon is still trying to figure it out. Paula right. seems to have lost her job um, working in, like you said, like I know you said nursing assistant, but we know she just worked in like a medical field due to the scrubs. Yes. Um, but, you know, it appears she's lost her job. She's turned to prostitution uh, and her addiction has only gotten worse. Um, and yeah, like to, uh, I'm sorry, not to Ralph Chiron, uh, his only real constant is just his friend Kevin, really. Um, yeah. Kevin and I mean and a little bit Teresa right he he obviously cares about her and appreciates her looking out for him so much mm-hmm. but and he thanks Teresa too for everything but it's just you, you just you know he you feel the distance that's growing between him and everyone else around him and Chiron seems a lot more uh disconnected at this point in his life Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell that, you know, that, that he is, you know, that he is struggling because he is wearing clothes that doesn't fit him, you know, mm-hmm. that's very clearly smaller than, than what he should be wearing. Um, and it's not a style choice. Like sometimes you would think it's a style choice. This is very clearly like this guy is wearing clothes that's too small for him that may have fit him a year or two ago, but he obviously- You make do with what you got. Anything. Yeah. And so his clothes is likely one of the reasons why he gets bullied. Uh, his effeminate nature gets him bullied. Uh, I don't know. Terrell's kind of a sociopath. I think he just picks on him to fucking. Well, you know, him. last last week's movie we had a bully who also was a raging sociopath. <laughs> so <laughs> with smoke, and now Terrell is like, yeah. he just he just wants to make Chiron's life like just shittier and shittier. Right. Um, and and when Chiron goes to stay with Teresa, you know, she gives him a little money to get by. But unfortunately, um, because, you know, his mother, his mother's addiction is now like in full swing here. Uh, she angrily demands that Chiron give her the money that's been given to her so that she can continue to buy more drugs. Right. It broke my heart when, the, when Chiron gets home and the first thing paula says is no you can't stay here tonight like he says all he says is hi mom Mm -hmm. and she's like no you can't stay here tonight i need you to go find somewhere because i'm having company and i'm just like that poor kid yeah yeah it's really it's, it's really sad and it's really heartbreaking you know like it's tough, man. It, it is mm-hmm. tough because obviously there are kids that go through this like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a time and 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 not to, I'm gonna spill a little bit of it, but it was a time in my wife's life where she wanted to work with kids who had special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, she, in one of the in one of the early jobs that she had in this, uh, she was working as kind of a tutor, you know, for a child who did have a bit of special needs. And his mother was very clearly dealing with an addiction. My mm. wife would come in for a couple of hours a week and, and, and kind of, you know, do activities with him and, and work with him. And the mother would be in the home, but would be locked in the bathroom for hours on end, right? Oh, my God. And it's just, you know, it, it's, it, it is just... 
You it can't happens. hide it as best yeah. as they can. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> if you work as a tutor, if you work in social services, you know, you will see this kind of stuff. And I think the part of it that's difficult is, you know, you know that his mother probably does care about him, but she's just gripped in addiction. And that's just making it difficult for her to care about him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Chiron is stuck having to take care of her. You know, like in the earlier part of the film, they obviously lived in a nice, in a bit of a nicer apartment. By the time he's a teenager, they are in projects. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it just, it looks highly unkempt as projects do, you know, um, and it is a, he's just, you know, he's having a really rough go at it. <laughs> Luckily, he still has his buddy, Kevin, who, uh, who gives him the nickname Black. Yes. Um, and Chiron and Kevin are still really close. Uh, Which is a nice, to- it's a nice callback to the earlier scene where uh, Juan mentions that people called him Blue. That's up, right. right. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, that, 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 well, the fact that the original, the book that this movie is based on is Moonlight, uh, is in the moon, in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. So mm. it is, it's, it, it's connecting those characters together in a sense as well. So, you know, when we get introduced to Teenage Kevin, Kevin, uh, you know, he was he was sent to detention because he was actually caught having sex in the stairwell at school. And while he's telling Chiron, Chiron is very, I don't, you know, and this kind of goes back to the whole, it could be like you said, he's struggling with sexuality. He's struggling with like kind of cognitive uh, or cognitive like uh, development, right? But he's just or, like. Or well, Kevin may, may be bisexual or pansexual, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everything in this film is inferred and nothing is... Nothing Nothing's is ever said. Yeah. That's what's really interesting is that never at any point is it like Chiron like ever comes out. Um, and never at any point, like, you know, as we go on, like, it, do, does Kevin ever define himself based on his sexuality either, you know? Um, so, you know, yeah, their friendship is still very... It's, I mean, in a way, it's still very, it's still very caring and loving, and you can tell that, like, that um, Kevin still has like that affection for uh, Chiron, right? Um, when Chiron stays at Teresa's house, he has this dream of um, of walking in on Kevin having sex uh, and getting caught again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think the next night or in some time kevin actually um or chiron actually ends up leaving the he ends up leaving for a little bit to go to the beach uh the same beach that him and um i was about to say blue him and uh juan used to go and where he learned how to swim and where they shared a lot of uh time together right Mm -hmm. and there kevin goes uh they they together and they start talking about what they want to do with their lives. You know what's funny about this? Before we get into the conversation that they have, you have the scene of him going, like, you know, taking the trains that he needs to take to get to the beach. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, it must be a school night. This guy is, like, just out. <laughs> and then the <laughs> other part of it is, the other part of it is it feels like he's gone, like, a very long distance to get to where he's at. And mm-hmm. it's just one of those bizarre things where it's the dreamlike quality of film or just, like, the, you accept it so it's just but it's just so weird how like Ke- like 
how is it that Kevin happens to be at this exact same beach at this exact same mm-hmm. time? Like, it wasn't like they had made an agreement to, like, meet there and stuff like that. So, And it's, it's like one of the flimsiest weird. things because he's like, oh, what are you doing here? And then Kevin's like, oh, this is my smoking spot. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it's like, it's like, come on, there's like a million different outdoor locations where you can go smoke, but okay. <laughs> I mean, it could be us. Maybe we just don't know Liberty City. Maybe Liberty City yeah. isn't. I mean, obviously, we don't know the geography <laughs> of this place that they're living in. Maybe there's a chance that it's really not that far away, and 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 I'm just making it out to be more than it is. But it's Maybe. that's just that was just a part of it that was kind of funny to me. But by the time that they're actually having this conversation. I'm obviously not thinking about that anymore because I'm so engrossed. You in... just write it off as it's a movie thing. Yeah, and, and I'm whatever. just engrossed in the scene <laughs> and in what both the characters are saying to each other. Yeah, you know, and they 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 share this moment where they're talking and like Kevin and Kevin and Chiron end up kissing, and the way it plays out at first, it's like you can tell Chiron is super scared, like he doesn't want to do it at first. Um, and then he eventually does and immediately Kevin like starts pushing wants to go further and he ends up giving Sharon a hand job and like you know right off the bat Kevin even makes a note he goes you've never done anything like this with anybody huh and it's like you know Sharon's finally like kind of like exploring his sexuality more and he's exploring himself and it's just like the whole like he's still very it's a very like relatable thing for people to be afraid at like with their sexual experience because you don't know yes. what to expect you don't know what what you're supposed to like what's supposed to feel good and what's supposed yes to, like... you don't know you when you're young and you're a teenager and you're dealing with your burgeoning sexuality you know like it's again like you said like especially for guys like you know, guys are supposed to act like they know how everything works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're supposed like to know what it's like to be in vagina since he came out of one. And it's <laughs> like, not only does this kid not know how to, like, really do anything sexually, he's doing it with, uh, with a guy which is already, quote-unquote, weird. And not only that, a guy that got in trouble for having sex at school. <laughs> well, that and then everything that, that you've learned up until this point, you know that he and Kevin have a close relationship together, but there's nothing about Shy Rome again where he hasn't explicitly stated what he's interested in or who mm-hmm. he, you know, or who he's into and stuff like that. So it is the part of this that's really tender and really sweet, you know, after the the kind of like sex act is performed it's just you can say hand job we can say hand jobs on our show (laughs) yeah i know but like i mean like after the hand job it's like you know that like i don't know the part the only part of this that feels kind of you know that you feel kind of nice for the character about is the fact that he's this is another person who's actually at least showing him affection and he's like embarrassed like chevron's super embarrassed right after and he apologizes and like Kevin tells him for what you ain't got nothing to apologize for. Like he just really reinforces that, you know, what they did was completely normal and natural. You know, I think another theme in this film that isn't that isn't very stated, but you you can't not feel it is also just the fact that you know what's you know what is going on right now, right? Where we talk about you know the the idea of how how black men are treated, right? And mm-hmm. I think come on and both of us have worked in the education system both of us have worked in social services uh to to a degree 
and we are aware of the anti-black bias that exists right you know Mm -hmm. black kids are always treated like their feelings are invalidated or you know that what they're doing is wrong and in many ways criminal Mm-hmm. So it, I I think I think those kind of feelings and those kinds of anxieties are also feeding into the character of Chiron, which again mm-hmm. contributes to the complexity of him as a as a as a character in a film. Because it's like he's already going against most of what what's considered to be black and masculine for the most part, because he's not, maybe not the not into the same stuff as other people. Now on top of that. He's not even sure if he's like what where his sexuality's at, especially when you're a young black man and then you gotta face over civilization like on the on a constant basis. <laughs> like this, yeah, this kid is just you know, he's getting so many different mixed messages from all over the place. It's nice to see that this that he's able to develop this relationship and this romance with somebody. Um even the part if it's of for it, a moment, you know. The part of it that that is ultimately tragic, however, is you know, and and again, I've been a teenager, and and I'm sure you know both of us may have had the feeling of, you know, when you're into somebody, and you have an experience with them, doesn't matter what it is. You talk to them on the phone for the first time, you go on a date with someone for the first time, whatever. There's just this euphoria feeling that you have when you have just met someone. And you are with someone that, that, you know, it's like where you feel like everything is just fine. And it's what you, I like to call the Bart Simpson strut moment. <laughs> but, you know, all up until they get back to school, right? Yeah, because then and it's is, all back to reality. <laughs> and that is where sociopath Terrell comes up to Kevin and, like, reminds him of a knockout game that they used to play when they were younger, which is point him out, knock him out, right? Mm-hmm. They would where they would point out any person at random, and and I guess Kevin specifically was good at just beating the shit out of someone when you do that. <laughs> Apparently, Kevin had hands and was just knocking kids out all the goddamn time. <laughs> That's what it tells you. And you know, it's the other thing too, where we talk. Hey, it's it's what we talked about last week, right? Where where the similarities were yeah. is that these are you know these are hyper masculine men, and you know they are these growing are the- up. You're the expected masculine games that yeah. hypermasculine men are expected to play. You're expected to be like everyone else in your neighborhood. Yeah. Like that is the part of it. And and like, you remember these... I'm sorry, do you remember when we were kids and we would go play fucking suicide with our cousins and like just start beating the shit out of each other? <laughs> like that those are the type of games that like as young men you're expected to be okay and being cool boys are with. boys and men are like inherently, we're stupid and destructive we're, we're inherently barbaric and i think <laughs> and i think that is part of it and someone would look at this game and you'd be like oh my god that is such a the worst thing you could possibly imagine. It's like, no, 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 boys are just inherently barbaric and we <laughs> do stupid things. <laughs> now you're thinking about all the stupid, like all the stupid That is exactly what I'm thinking about right now. Throwing so. fucking fireworks at each other. Yeah, so oh, uh, anyway, um, yeah, the part that actually is the worst part of maybe this entire film is the scene where uh, at, at the end of the school day, uh Terrell points out Chiron and Kevin Kevin beating him. Right. Like Kevin, like, Kevin very and Chiron, doesn't want to do it. Yeah. 
Kevin and Sarah may not be wrong for the feelings that they have, but they definitely are made to feel like it's wrong. And Mm -hmm. Kevin is now under pressure to protect his rep, you know, because obviously he, he would destroy him. Like if people knew that, you know, he was performing sexual acts with other men. Right. Mm -hmm. So the idea was, it's, 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 mm -hmm. uh, no, I was going to say, it's never really implied that people know that Kevin's on the DL. Like no one really like it. Not much that shows it that way. It's and I think that's what kind of makes it worse. At least for me, when I was watching the scene, is that there was like no public stigma other than being like picked on as well as uh, Sharon was, Mm. like getting picked on the same way. And that's why it was one of those things where it's like the that he had to like he felt he had to betray. Uh, Chiron and like Chiron understood and that's like the worst part is the worst part is that he understood he refused to stay down he just kept getting back up yep. um in a way kind of like redeeming his hash um, uh, uh, quote-unquote I don't know why I was gonna say hashtag quote-unquote masculinity <laughs> mm-hmm. um by just getting the shit absolutely beat out of him and then jumped by Terrell and his boys yeah, which is the part that even Kevin like wasn't prepared for, and, mm-hmm. and you can tell that Kevin is feeling guilt for it. Um, once the I guess principal or whatever the faculty member is that stops that jumping from happening, uh, you're in a scene where uh, Chiron is either with a counselor or principal or some sort of you don't know the adult is is off screen. Yeah, um, but they're just dealing with like. I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where the most tragic part about this section of of the film is you just realize how much this young black boy has been failed by everyone around him. Mm -hmm. Um, And that includes his friend. Immediately he gets berated by the teacher for not snitching and telling, and, and, you know, telling her who the, who was it that attacked him. He feels betrayed. Like you said, by his friend, the one person that just showed him like love and affection and it's like that's gone and it's like this kid feels like he has nobody and when you have no nobody and you have no choice it makes it really easy to do whatever you want you know and you have nothing left to lose so boy howdy did he do whatever he wanted (laughs) yeah so the very next day Chiron just angrily comes into the school and just grabs a chair and beats the shit out of Terrell which while it is a cry, a crowd pleasing moment, <laughs> you, while it was a crowd pleasing moment for the people in my theater that watched this with us, mm-hmm. uh, it is the part of it that is tragic. And 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 I'm gonna keep going back to that word. Is now he's bought himself a one way ticket to juvenile hall. Yeah. And um, much like when we talked about how heartbreaking it is to watch the character of Jesse you know like where it's like you're like he's doing nothing wrong it's the people it's really it was his dad beating him up like that that they ended up outing himself it's mm-hmm. just it's even harder here because you're like yeah this guy did absolutely nothing wrong he is having a very difficult life already and instead of anyone actually doing something to help this young black boy they do what we do with young black boys and that is put them into prisons yeah criminalize them and start putting them into the prison system Mm -hmm. and you watch siron as a teenager 
you know, get pulled out by police officers and get put into the back of a police car. And that is it. Before we go into the next section, I did want to go back real quick to the part where, uh, where um, right before Kevin starts beating the shit out of uh, Chiron. Mm. I love that shot because it took me a little bit to understand what was going on, but I love that shot where Terrell is walking around in a circle and then you think like he's and he's just being a dick right and he's just like mm-hmm. knocking books out of uh, people's hands and just like shoving people and then you realize that and like the camera's just panning in a circle and then you realize that he's actually corralling Chiron and he's like creating a circle around Chiron mm-hmm. and I was just like whoa that was actually really cool like a really cool shot like again want to shout out to how fantastic the cinematography is in this film mm-hmm. and i think we get a a back to kind of like a scene break to when uh chiron was little and we get an actual audio version of what of that of that scene in the hallway uh that scene where paula is uh where chiron is staring at paula and she just shouts at him and we finally you know we hear what she says because she mouthed it the first time but she says what are you looking at right Mm -hmm. um and that cuts into our next section which is part three titled black Mm -hmm. um is now going by the nickname that kevin gave him as a child mm -hmm. um and he has essentially become juan yeah Um, yeah he's totally become juan it's fucking cool (laughs) he's become the big drug dealer in atlanta and again this is a again it's a coming of age story this is kind of how it happens you are you go through different periods of your life when you're into different things and there could be parts of your life where you're more or less into quote-unquote dangerous situations Um, at this point in his life he's been burned he's been like you know, he's been betrayed by those he loved. So, you know, you we're left to assume that he's been out of prison for prison, out of juvie for a long time. You know, he looks like he's at least in his late twenties at this point. Um, you know, he, he looks, he's completely changed from the, whose clothes were two sizes too small, you know, like he's, he looks yoked as shit he's he wearing grills the really atlanta thing we were talking about last week where he's got the fronts and bottoms you know he's wearing chains he go and you know like he goes around and he like you said he is juan now he's the one that commands respect around his neighborhood Mm -hmm. he's the one that uh the little homies are looking up to and you know we get that scene where uh where he goes and he picks up the the dude off the street brings him back to the apartment so that they can uh, divvy up the money, right? Mm-hmm. And he fucks with the kid by saying that his, um, you know, that his count is light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when he when uh, the kid says, no, like, that's how much, you know, the, like, the money's right. And then, like, Sharon gets mad and he comes at him and he goes, like, what, so now you're calling me a liar? And, you know, it's very not, it's very different from the kid that we, we've seen in the last two acts. Like, this man is very sure of himself to the point where he's aggressive. I mean, eventually he tells him he was fucking with him and that the count was right and he gives him his and money. I think, <laughs> and I think that's important. It's important. It, it, what it kind of makes me feel is at least the attitude, is a, it, it's, it's him essentially telling us that the attitude is kind of a front. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, like he completely, like, like it, it, he's, 
he's created this persona for himself to survive essentially and at the same time he is kind of taking this kid under his wing as well and uh giving him a little extra money as well uh you know after the work has been done like i said like just like juan like he is someone who understands that what he's doing is something that that is harmful to the community but at the same time when you live under the circumstances that you're living under you have to do something and uh to get to get out of this desolate like poverty that they're all like dealing with so he gets a call from paula who is still in uh in miami she's actually in a rehab clinic and she's working Mm -hmm. on on uh you know getting sober and you know she she tell you know she asked sharon well she leaves a message right and in the message she says sharon doesn't come visit her that she hopes he's doing okay and you can tell sharon wants to just kind of close that chapter of his life he wants to move on uh he gets another call and then finally you know he doesn't even look at who's calling him and he begrudgingly tells like he assumes it's his mom and tells her i'm gonna be there don't worry i'll come see you mm-hmm. and then it turns out that the person that actually called him was kevin and uh kevin you know he 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 tells Sharon to come visit him in miami if he ever finds himself out there um so Chiron literally just grabs his stuff like he's taking a day trip and just drives down to from Atlanta to Liberty City. Well, I don't know well, if it's Liberty City, but Miami, right? Right. Bef- and before <laughs> that is, you know, the moment that he's having with his mother, which is where he visits his mother at her uh, treatment center. Um, where but she's in Miami, too. No, she's in Atlanta. Really? Yeah, they're both in Atlanta. Um, oh, he mentions he mentions it to Kevin when when they're in the diner together. I thought they okay when he went to see her. I thought she was already in. I thought she was in Florida. Like I didn't think she went with him to Atlanta when uh, when he got out of jail. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good to know. I know that now. <laughs> right. Yeah, so so, we, so in so in the in, in the conversation, like you can obviously tell that that uh, that Paula has now you know is at least recovering from her addiction uh, is helping other people in the home recover as well. Uh, we finally see our first white people in the entire film. <laughs> it's the two people in the background. <laughs> that was like, what? That's crazy, man. It, this is like, I texted you that I have so many mixed emotions in the last third of the film, the last chapter. Right. And this is kind of where it starts because like the really fucking like shit like the shit ass in me wants him to be like don't forgive anybody Sharon live your life <laughs> and you know he has this moment where like the the mom where Paula is like really just, she's she's trying to make amends right she's trying to make up for the the wrong she did this kid growing up all through his life and like she's genuinely like she's genuinely feels bad and it's like she ends her she ends her apology with saying i love you even if you don't love me anymore and it just like hits you like damn she's real like she's really trying to make an effort and it's like this kid has every right to hate her and not want anything to do with her and again this film does it doesn't tell you he forgives her it doesn't tell you he takes her back but it does show you that he's wrestling with the idea right and as someone who has, you know, 
been in 12 step programs. I'm not going to mention which, but you know, I will say that one of the things that you do deal with when you're getting, when you're dealing with an addiction is you have to be able to, um, you have to be able to make amends to all the people who you've hurt. Mm-hmm. And part of making amends with others is understanding that, you know, that the other person may fully reject uh, you making amends to them and you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have and it, to understand why it is that they feel that way. So the fact that she does say to him, I love you, even though, you know, even though uh, she was you know, able he to give him what he needed when he needed. Yeah. And I think the, uh, and that's the honesty of it. That is the honesty of it that, that I appreciate. And that is what makes this movie feel real. Right. Mm-hmm. So these two eventually uh, reconcile. Sharon takes his trip to Miami to see Kevin at, uh, working at a diner. So at this point, Kevin also went to jail. Um, after, after he, he lost track or after he lost contact with Sharon, he ended up in a relationship where he had a child uh, with this woman who he calls Kevin Jr. Never see him. We just completely were all, we only hear about this. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, they, uh, they meet up at, at this diner and it's super awkward at first. They're trying to catch up and they're trying, but they're obviously there's a huge, like, there's a huge, like, chasm between these two characters who were once close yeah i think i think what i appreciate about this is that it does feel just as awkward as it would be in real life you Mm -hmm. know like kevin calls this guy in the middle of the night out of nowhere um they haven't really talked to each other in years and you don't know what is exactly drawing him to even talk to him Mm -hmm. um chiron is someone who is close or black is someone who's kind of closed himself off to so many different people in the world at this point and uh you know doesn't really deal with doesn't really have to deal with a ton of his emotions uh you know outwardly uh, and you know it, you what you find out is that this encounter that he had with Kevin is likely the only sexual encounter that he's had throughout his life yeah yeah well what we find out is after um you know, they, after they catch up and they talk about kind of like where their lives have been, um, Chiron just breaks down. Um, but I mean, towards the end. But I think it is important that this scene, and I timed it while I was watching this. This diner scene is the last half hour of the film. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, like this, this, I feel like the story of this film, we've gone by through it like pretty quickly because it's just not it's not that dense in terms of the material it's oh no 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 yeah what happens subtext is what's dense the action on the the action that actually takes place on screen is not and you don't have to read too much into it there's well i mean well yeah you do have to read a lot into it but i mean it's very fairly straightforward right it's very like the action that takes place is very straightforward um but it like you were and there's nothing the too melodramatic like nobody gets shot in this film and we have to go into the hospital for like a portion of the film either like no, this is it's, in that sense it's fantastic is that it leaves a lot to what you infer it leaves a lot into like like it infers a lot of things that you just have to you have to accept right mm-hmm. um 
Yeah, but uh, we don't want to go pa- blow past the diner scene. I do want to. I did want to bring up the song. Um, you probably know the song better than I, because you're. Afraid. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> I have this song on my. Again, what this does have in common, you know, with with La Mission from last week too, is is you know these the songs music that choices, are, yeah. yeah these songs that are in my oldies playlist that i love all the time <laughs> so kevin tells chiron the reason why he wanted to reach back out is he actually heard a song that made him think about kevin i mean hello stranger chiron, yeah and it's hello stranger and then he actually plays it on the jukebox for uh for chiron um he you know he makes him like that delicious meal that I really want to make one day. <laughs> oh, sweet like, Jesus. I, I like, wish that Kevin could just cook for me now because that looked fantastic. It was like <laughs> just this whole scene. It's like, in a way, it feels like they didn't keep a beat because, you know, like Chiron is experiencing that that tenderness, that love, that affection that he had for uh, for Kevin and it was reciprocated. Um but it's like it's still super weird because it feels like Chiron still doesn't trust him and he still can't can't like let his guard and like accept him right yeah and and you understand exactly why he does feel that way mm-hmm. um but again i think what we talked about is that the awkwardness of this scene is what makes it mm-hmm. you know is is these guys are they want to tell each other like how they're feeling and what they're thinking right away but it's just mm-hmm. you know you do kind of dance around it for about 15 minutes of the I mean, last 30 i mean he's um, still at work technically <laughs> kevin's still working yeah. so it's like after their shift they close he closed down the diner and they actually drive back to uh kevin's apartment um and kevin tells sharon about how happy he is with his life even though things aren't what he wanted you know he has a great kid he feels fulfilled as a father um and how he could well i think it's important it's important noting too i i think the part of it where the conversation in the diner got awkward but it was good that it got there because it is true is when kevin like looks at black and says this isn't you the fronts the chain Mm -hmm. all this and that and then (laughs) you know uh shiron does tell him he goes you don't know me like Mm -hmm. you don't know me like we knew each other 10 years ago you know, I, as soon as I got a juvie, I went to Atlanta and I completely built myself into a different persona from the ground up, started mm-hmm. all over again. And, th- and whether Kevin is going to accept it or not, this is who this guy is now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just like, but where both of them do have to accept how they've changed. Yeah. You know, Chiron, obviously, you know, Kevin is someone who, had a had a girlfriend who he had a child with <laughs> he went on to have a whole nother life without Chiron and yeah. vice versa you know and it's like uh, Kevin's life was closer to the ha- like the the what's quote-unquote normal and it's like and it's hard to accept I guess when you have feelings for somebody to think that that person's life is going to continue once you're out of it you know and I think that's one of those things that Chiron had to kind of come to terms with Right, the the repression where yeah. where where he did live a, a repressed life for whatever his traumas were and all that kind of stuff for all those years, mm-hmm. you know. It's again, you have one character who had sex with someone, had a child, and then you have one character who, after this sexual encounter, had nothing, refused like he did not. And you know, he tells Kevin this. He goes, "No one's ever touched me since you touched me." 
He's like, I've never been with another man. Oh, and, and that that made me cry in the movie theater. It just, like, when I saw that movie in theaters, I, I did cry at that moment because it's just, it is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking, like, the fact that this guy, you know, th- th- this character who you've been following and who you care about, you know, you check in on him and you've seen that 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 there's so much of his life that he wasn't able to live. And let's, in, in much like when we talked about last week, we have to be honest, like, this is it, the gay experience, because we are not as far along in terms of accepting people for who they are as much as we'd like to be. The people who we care about who are growing up gay, lesbian, trans, whatever, like this is the kind of experience that they're going through. And there are parts of their lives where they are dealing with discrimination and the repression that comes with either other people telling you that you can't be the way that you are or your own uncertainty telling you that that, that you're not going to do this or not able to do this. The film ends on a tender note, very tender note, where Kevin comforts Black. And, you know, like he's, you know, he's just holding him. He's just embracing him, letting Black kind of cry it out. And, and that's all he needed. Like no, yeah. other, no other character at any point in this movie even hugs the guy. Like, <laughs> like yeah, just, good point. No one, like, even even Teresa and uh, and uh, and Juan. Like like when 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 Black mentions that nobody else has touched him since he's touched <laughs> it. Like it literally feels like he's not even just talking about sex. Like he's had zero affection, you know. Mm-hmm. And and like that's the part of it where it's like where the reason why the film's ending feels satisfying is like God finally like someone actually treats this guy like a human being. <laughs> And, and and not like you know this ulceran that's out you know that that is just out there you know mm-hmm. so it's like as he's being comforted by kevin black he sees himself you know remind or remembers himself when he was little as little and uh standing on the beach you know black boy looking blue in the moonlight and that's moonlight yep that is moonlight <laughs> Um, so we already said it, <laughs> but Angel, did you like this movie? Obviously. Yeah. Obviously, I love this film, and I'm really glad that I got to watch it again. This is really my only my second time watching it since I saw it in theaters. And like I said, I saw things in this movie this time that I didn't see the first time. So I appreciated that because this is a film where, where nothing is given to you and things are understated and you're kind of able to pick up on subtext and stuff like that. It is it has made it all the more like like watching it for a first time again. You mm-hmm. know, you're just discovering all these new things in it. Uh, this film deserved to win the Academy Award for Best Picture that year. It really was the best movie I had seen that year. Um, and, you know, I, I really want to watch Barry Jenkins' uh, second movie of Bill Street Can Talk, but I haven't seen it yet. And, and hopefully we'll be able to do it at some point. But, um, but you know, like it gave us a new director that will give us a brand new vision, you know, for movies that we want to see. It improves the diversity that we're looking for in Hollywood, you know, and even what we talked about last week with La Michonne, like, like we also need the diversity in the Latinx community as well, as a, as well, in addition to the black community. Yeah. And, and the, and we just, it's good. We need more movies like this that just are 
slice of life films um, that I feel like before this movie have routinely been like only white directors get this right like you mm-hmm. know boyhood we watch it all the time like most of richard linklater's like indie output <laughs> you know like uh like stuff like beautiful boy like there's all this stuff where it's like for the longest time in hollywood it's felt like only white people are allowed to have these indie slice of life movies and then every once in a while you have something that breaks through like this we need to make this more of the norm uh, mm-hmm. because there's so much in there's so much subtext in these movies and there's so much where we just need to be able to see ourselves in other characters it's it's common man like freaking you know you had this movie winning in 2016 you had parasite win best picture last year like slowly but surely the revolution's coming man <laughs> but yeah it's a fucking fantastic film i can't sing its praises enough like honestly you haven't checked it out yet and you've somehow made it to the end of the episode and not seen it yet like yeah definitely check it out it's worth watching fantastic performances top to bottom like a great camera work you just get these beautiful shots of just some incredible people you know like it's just it's just done it's just handled with so much love and care. Like, I cannot recommend this movie enough. All right, guys. So, uh, think, uh, we'd like to thank everybody, you know, we'd like to thank you guys for, for, for listening to this episode of the show. And next week, we've actually decided that because, you know, the, of the untimely passing of uh, Joel Schumacher, um, that we figured it'd be good to do one of his films for next week's review. And also because July is Blockbuster Month. And this is a weird year in that there's no movies coming out in the month of July, right? Like, <laughs> we are living through a very bizarre year of life where, you know, stuff like Tenet and Wonder Woman 84 were supposed to be coming out this summer. And all of that stuff has now been shelved to the end of the year. So, um, and those so uh, next week we'll be... We'll be re- yeah. So next week we'll actually be reviewing Batman Forever. Oh, uh, no! so uh yeah i feel like again we we talked about it right in our batman 89 episode where it's like we're eventually gonna do all the batman films (laughs) we're just gonna be doing them in this bizarre like order (laughs) yeah we said batman returns can fucking suck our dicks apparently (laughs) and we're going straight to batman forever oh no 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 batman returns and dark knight are movies that will be reviewed at some point in the future this oh. I, I I will never I would never have agreed to do a movie podcast if I didn't get to talk about Dark Knight. Oh my god! And I keep making the joke all the time to Javi that like once we get into that movie, like it's gonna be like a four hour review. Like Angel talks about the Dark Knight <laughs> so fucking much that I'm going to probably hate the movie out of spite. Like I haven't watched that movie in a good long time, and I'm probably gonna hate it by the time we do watch it for this goddamn show. Yeah, you won't. Yeah, I will because it's so. Oh my god, he just reshot Heat, but with Batman. It's so clever. <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, we, thanks for joining us for this episode, and we hope you uh, enjoyed us like going kind of onto something different these last couple weeks. Yeah. It's been. I think we talked about it where it was nice to talk about these kind of like deeper films these last two weeks. It, it kind of 
especially after we went on hiatus for about a month and a half. Like there are moments where you feel like, you know, do I really want to come back and start doing this again? (laughs) Because it's been long enough without it. But it's just doing these movies has really like reinvigorated me to start doing some of these other stuff. (laughs) Yeah. The art house, the art house time is done for now. We are taking off our fucking fedoras and scarves. Oh, we, yeah. I mean, we we could not possibly be going in a more, like, sharp left turn than we are taking right now. Well, we took a fucking right turn to get here because our, our movie coming back was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and then we went super serious, and now we're going, like... Back to ridiculous uh, movies. To ridiculous. I love it. I'm going to take us through schlock. I'm going to petition for some fucking terrible movies now. Oh, it's going to be great. I can't wait. I think, I think until we, until we pick up James, because I don't think we're really going to pick up James Bond again until September at the earliest. I'm cool with never picking up James Bond. So, uh, yeah, there's plenty of time between now and then. So, uh, you know, keep downloading our uh, back catalog. If you want to hear any of the other reviews that we've done, And we hope you guys will join us again next week. All right. Live from New York. It's Javi Lopez. Not later, y'all. I don't know. I'm tired. Talk to you guys guys next week. All right. Later, y'all.